are vows? Yeah. <gasps> I wonder if they still hold up. Hmm. <laughs> Rebecca, saying I do means saying I will. I will love you today and every day for the rest of my life. I know things may not always be easy. Uh -huh. That should have been my red flag. <laughs> well, no take backs now. You're, <sighs> you're stuck with me. But our love has always been worth it. I will encourage you, trust and respect you. I will create a home with you full of laughter. So today, um, in front of uh, everyone here, I pledge myself to you. Jack, I fall a little bit more in love with you every day. In you, I have found my soulmate, my best friend, my lover, my partner, my safe place. You are my great love story. And Jack Pearson, our story is just getting started. All right, well, good morning, everyone. I want to welcome you to uh, week three of our series, This Is Us. Our story is just getting started. Uh, I'm Pastor Tim. Let's give a big special shout-out welcome to all six locations joining us around New Jersey. Glad you guys are with us today. Awesome to see you on the big screen. Hey, if you are just joining us, our sermon series is based on the hit TV show, This Is Us. You just saw a clip there that we're kind of using as a springboard to get at some real-life biblical issues that I think affect all of us. Um, so far, we've talked about the reality of living life in a broken world uh, where relationships are complicated. And in week one, we looked at the five dysfunctions of a family, what the Bible has to say about each. Last week for Father's Day, we talked about the perfect father, acknowledging that actually God is the only perfect father you'll ever know in this life, which is liberating. And today we're going to talk about how challenging romantic relationships can be. Uh, whether you are single uh, or dating, maybe you are engaged or you're married or you're divorced, maybe you're widowed or you're remarried. Um, as you saw in our opening clip, the primary romantic relationship in This Is Us is between Jack and Rebecca Pearson. They're these uh, two you know, young 20-somethings who fall in love. They meet in a bar in Pittsburgh. They get married. They have triplets, the big three. And that's when life gets kind of crazy. Because uh, audiences love Jack and Rebecca in that scene, of course. They're on this romantic getaway, this overnight for their anniversary, and Jack makes this grand romantic gesture, right? He decks out the room in little twinkle lights, you know? He pops champagne, and they renew their wedding vows. How cute, right? While snuggling on the floor in Terry Cough bathrobes. And I remember watching that scene with my wife, Colleen, and she was like, how romantic. And I thought, I'm screwed. You know, like, 
This summer is our 20th wedding anniversary. I was like, thanks for setting an impossible standard. Uh, actually, if you watch the show, you know it's not all champagne and rose petals for the Pearsons. They, share, they have their share of trouble, of tragedy, trauma in their family's life. It impacts their kids. And that's kind of the genius of this show because we see, we flash forward to their adult children when they're grown in their own relationships. And, uh, you know, one of the kids is single, one of them is divorced, one is married with kids of his own. And their romantic relationships kind of run the gamut. Uh, if you start with Kate, uh, the daughter who struggles with her weight and her self-esteem, uh, she meets a kind of a cool guy, big-hearted guy named Toby at a Weight Watchers meeting. Uh, they move in together, uh, which about 60% of adults, unfortunately, do nowadays. They get engaged. Her little brother, Kevin, uh, is the golden boy. He's kind of the, he seems he has it all, right? He's a famous actor. He's good-looking. But he's actually very self-destructive. One of the reasons he gets divorced is his addiction to alcohol and painkillers kind of implode his marriage. If you've ever had somebody in your family who struggled with an addiction, you know it can have a lot of repercussions. In fact, we're taking a poll today in our mobile app. Each week we kind of take a poll, kind of a pulse of the congregation, and it's about addictions. If you have somebody in your family who ever has struggled with an addiction, or maybe you do, we want to help with that. But if you go uh, to our Liquid Church mobile app, take that poll, let us know. But he is, uh, Kevin is divorced, but he's a serial hookup artist. Uh, he's constantly dating women with a string of kind of empty one-night stands. Now, Randall is the most stable. Randall's like the, the happy family man who's married to Beth. They probably have the most intact and functional relationship of all three. Um, they are partners in every sense of the word. They kind of share the work of the home. They raise their kids together. They work very hard at keeping their romance alive. You can kind of still always feel the, the passion, the sparks between them. So you, we've got the gamut, right? We've got single, engaged, uh, divorced, sort of dating, married with kids. Even the mom, Rebecca, struggles to find her way later in life. Again, spoiler alert, when uh, Jack dies prematurely, Rebecca suddenly finds herself widowed, right? She's raising three kids. And eventually she remarries. In fact, she gets remarried to Miguel, who was Jack's best friend. So messy, right? I mean, this is us. This is real life where relationships are complex. Marriage can be messy. And I just want to say, uh, this is just like us, like our church family. Um, if you're new to Liquid, you need to know this church is full of imperfect people, okay? Single, married, divorced, widowed, remarried. We're committed to loving and following Jesus, but we're not perfect. Life and relationships often don't end up the way that we envisioned when we were younger. But we actually think it's healthy to be honest about that. In fact, did you know God invites us to bring all of our hopes, our fears, our dreams, our frustrations for relationships to him. And just let the example and wisdom of Christ inform us and transform those relationships from the inside out. In fact, let me give you a quick snapshot of our church family. Uh, this is us. Last week I asked you, again, take a quick poll in the Liquid Church mobile app. And here was the question I asked last week. Uh, which of the following most accurately describes your relationship status. And this is kind of a good snapshot of our congregation, if you've ever wondered. About 21% of our congregation are single, okay? Single, uh, ready to mingle. 9% uh, are dating, okay? Uh, you know, the percentage, now there's a percentage of singles who would kind of, you know, we'd like to move up to the dating category. About 4% of this church family are engaged. Uh, can we hear for all of our engaged couple? Congratulations to you. I actually have a live interview with a couple on stage today. I think that's going to help you. 
And then the majority, about 54% of our congregation are married. Um, there, now, this is, this is obviously, it's, a, it's the majority here. Of course, there is a, a subset of the married who'd like to be in single again. But that's, you know, <laughs> different sermon. 8%... Uh, are divorced. Again, maybe underrepresented a little bit. Maybe you're here today. You're healing from a previous relationship. Thank God you're here. Hope it's a safe place to heal and get back up on your feet. We want to come alongside you as you do. And then another 4% are remarried. In other words, they're starting over a second or a third time, maybe with a blended family. So you can kind of see our church family, right? This is us. It runs the gamut. And whatever season of life you're in, we just want to help you grow in your faith and strengthen your relationship. Because there's a lot of pain and confusion out there. The second question I asked you last Sunday was, what is one relationship question you'd like answered? And can I just say, I am so sorry I asked that question. Okay? Uh, just kidding. I appreciate your honesty. Again, very real life. Here's a sample of questions from each group, um, among the single folks, somebody said, for the single demographic, I'm struggling with how to be content being alone and God being enough for me. Uh, what the heck does a single person do if they feel sexual frustration? The Bible doesn't tell us to take a cold shower, so what do we do? You see, these are nitty gritty questions, right? Uh, here's the dating percentage. Why does the dating scene suck so much in New Jersey? <laughs> Just, okay, <laughs> I'm sorry I asked all these, right? Uh, how about this? How do you date in a godly way in today's world of dating apps and casual hookups? I feel I'll never find a partner. That is a real honest question. Uh, engaged couples said this, what issues do we need to address before getting married and which ones can wait? All right, that's a great question. Again, you're going to hear a little bit about that today. Uh, married folks, all sorts of questions. My husband is not a believer. How do we reconcile our lives together when they're so different now because of our beliefs? Another person wrote, as Christians, we're taught that divorce is not an option. What are suggestions for a marriage that's falling apart after 11 years, two kids, and three pets, right? Okay, not that anyone's counting there, but wow, that's, <laughs> that's an honest question. Um, how do you know when you're ready to start dating again after ending a relationship, right, if you're divorced? How to deal with trusting again after one's partner lied or cheated on them? How do you forgive and trust again? And then from remarried uh, couple uh, asked this, can you address the challenge of blended families? We've got three kids on each side and are struggling to blend both together. See, I told you, this is us, right? It really gets complicated, a little bit messy, and obviously I can't get to all these questions in today's message, but what you did do is kind of spark my planning for a future sermon series. Seriously, like your outpouring of these heartfelt questions convinced me of the need to do an in-depth series on relationships. I mean, everything, love, sex, the whole shebang, in 2019, all right? So we can kind of drill down and get at each of these topics in detail. So you're kind of helping crowdsource sermon content when you participate. But today, I thought, you know, could we touch on a topic that impacts all of us, uh, regardless of your relationship status? And that is, how do you have healthy, Christ-honoring conflict in your relationships? I'm calling this message Fight Club. You guys remember the movie with Brad Pitt, Fight Club? Because regardless of your relationship status, it really is a skill we all need to have. Every single person in this room at our campuses, you're going to have conflict. You're going to have disagreements. You're going to have arguments and fights. Experience teaches us this, but the Bible confirms it. In fact, in the New Testament, there is a first century letter that was written by James. Now, this is Jesus' half-brother. And James asked this question. He says, 
What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires, that battle within you? You desire but cannot get what you want. So you what? You quarrel and fight. This is one of the things I love about the Bible, right? It is down to earth. It talks about real life. Um, Is there anybody here? Raise your hand if you've never had a quarrel or fight with someone you love. Raise your hand. Okay. Okay. Get out. Get out of the church. You're lying in church. You can't do that, man. Okay. Right? Let's be honest. All right. Congratulations. If you are in a relationship, you are an official member of Fight Club. Okay. Every couple has quarrels, has fights has arguments and disagreements. I have heard couples brag, oh, we've been married 30 years. We never had a fight. I'm like, they are lying. If you've never had a fight, then you've never had a marriage. Your spouse may be your roommate, but you don't have a lover. Because the reality is when two sinners, catch that, when two sinners who love each other come together and try to become one flesh like Jesus talked about, there is bound to be friction. Even in the show This Is Us, Jack and Rebecca, They have this epic fight that almost takes out their marriage. You know, after all the twinkle lights and champagne, this big blow-up happens on Valentine's Day, of course. In the opening clip, Rebecca whispered to Jack. She said, I'd like to go back out on tour with my band because she's a singer. But Jack disagrees. Watch this. Hey, you've said three whole words since we left the show. Are you going to... Tell me what the problem is. I don't have a problem. Yes, you do, no. Jack. I don't know what you and Ben talked about, but hey, something look, happened it, while I, I was I'm, I'm telling you. I'm telling you. Just leave it. I'm not leaving it, Jack. You're acting like a crazy person. What's going on? Okay. I found out. I found out that you were going to go on tour with your ex-boyfriend. I don't know what Ben told you, but he's not my ex-boyfriend. We dated for two months. Two months when You've I was been 19 years old. Three nights a week. At rehearsal till 11 o'clock at night with this guy, and you think that I didn't deserve to know that you had history with him? That's exactly why I didn't tell you, because it was nothing, and I knew that you would get like this about it. Like, how? how, Like this? How how do I get? You get crazy and jealous, and I didn't want you sitting at home spinning out about something that didn't even mean anything. You know what? I don't want you going on tour. What? No. The kids, they need you right now. You just told me this afternoon the kids didn't need me, that you would have everything taken care of before you knew that no. I used to date Ben. You know, I didn't want you going on tour then either, but I I was trying to be supportive. I was trying to be a good guy. You were trying to be a good guy. Wow, yeah. I didn't know you had to try so hard to be a good guy, Jack. Uh, you That's know what? news Look, I to thought, me. I thought that you deserve something for yourself. And now I don't. No. Now I don't. No, no, that. that's don't that's confuse my words. That's not what I meant. It's what you just said, Jack. Uh, you know what? You shouldn't have lied to me. I never lied to you. No, you lied to me. For the past 16 years, I have put everything and everyone ahead of myself, you and the kids. And I just knew that if I were ever to tell you about this whole Ben thing, you would spin out about it. And I needed to have something for myself without you getting in the way. I never thought of myself as being in your way, Rebecca. And this Whoa. I can actually feel my blood pressure going up, right? So, some of you are like, this is why I don't watch the show. All right, I got enough of that in my own house, okay? I don't need this. I, I don't need other people's uh, drama. You know, Kyle and I, we watched that scene, and we, I was like, I think we've had that exact fight. You know, different topic, but the exact same dynamic, right? Why didn't you tell me? I didn't tell you because you get like this. 
Like what? Like all, you get all crazy and jealous and, 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 and I want you sitting at home and spinning out about something that didn't even mean anything. What causes fights and quarrels among you, James asks. Why, don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but you can't get what you want. So you quarrel and fight. So what's a healthy couple to do? I mean, if you want to honor Christ and our mate when we disagree, well, here's the hopeful part. James does not leave us hanging. In the book of James, he outlines three specific rules for fighting fair. Did you know that God has rules for fight club? He's got three of them. We all know how to fight dirty. It comes naturally, James says, because of our sin nature. We want our own way, but we don't always get it. And we're selfish at the core. That's why we need a new approach. And so God outlines these three rules for Fight Club in James chapter 1, verses 19 and 20, if you're taking notes. And basically, God's word says that, you know what, healthy couples fight, but here's the difference. They don't fight dirty. They fight clean, and they follow the rules. What are God's rules of Fight Club? Here they are. James writes this. He says, my dear brothers and sisters, we're family. Brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to what? What's the word, church? Listen, slow to speak and slow to become crazy, right? You actually see them outlined here, right? It has to do with listening, speaking, and anger management. So the first one is, is this. Everybody should be quick to listen, and that is every single one of us needs to learn to listen to the other. And this is hard, okay? Listening's hard. One of my biggest complaints to Colleen is that she's always on her cell phone, you know? Like when we're driving, like I like to talk and stuff and be engaged and like we'll be driving and I'll start telling the story and I'll get to the good part and, and she's like, what? I'm sorry, what? And I said, honey, what, you're, you're on your phone. Who are you, ta- you know, who are you talking to on your phone? She's like, oh, I, I'm not talking on the phone. I'm texting. Who are you texting? Uh, actually, I'm not texting. Look at this cute kitten on Instagram. You know, kind of... <laughs> Uh, Couples, put down the phone, turn off the TV. You both need to learn to listen to each other, and this is very hard. Because in a fight or a quarrel, most people want to be understood. But the secret is learning to understand your spouse. If you actually listen to the way that couples and families fight, and everyone does, you will notice a pattern that actually predicts whether the relationship will survive or not. Let me show you something fascinating. Science proves what scripture is saying here. Maybe you heard of Dr. John Gottman. He is uh, the author of Why Marriages Succeed or Fail. He's a professor emeritus of psychology at the University of Washington. And he's famous because Dr. Gottman spent 40 years studying thousands of married couples in what they call his love lab, okay? He kind of tricked out a science lab like a B&B and would have couples come and stay overnight for 48 hours, and the only difference between that and a BNB is he hooked them up to electrodes that measured their heart rate and their blood pressure. And then he observed how they had conflict, how they disagreed, the patterns when they fought, and how they, they listened to each other or not, how they spoke to each other, how they reconciled or not. And here's what's amazing. After 40 years of research, Dr. Gottman and his team are now able to watch a couple fight or argue for five minutes and they can determine with 90% accuracy if they'll divorce or not. That's 40 years of this. They actually have the science proven. 90% accuracy. That's amazing. And I'm like, well, how do you know that? Gottman's like, it's easy. Couples who eventually divorce have never learned how to fight fair. They fight dirty. Instead of communicating with, with gentleness, with affection, with mutual respect, instead they kind of use low blows against their partner. 
They deliver death blows whenever they disagree. Now, it's funny because Dr. Gottman, he's Jewish, and he calls these the four horsemen of the relationship apocalypse, kind of from Revelation. And I listed these in your notes, and it's like, if you see these four in a relationship, the end of days is near, okay? Uh, Here's what it says. He said, the first one you can always tell is criticism. Instead of listening, couples who split tend to criticize the person instead of concentrating on the problem. In other words, it's one thing to concentrate on a problem, but criticism takes the problem and makes it global. So in other words, here's a complaint, common complaint, right, at least in my house. Hey, you didn't take out the garbage like I asked, right, you know? That's just a complaint. Criticism gets personal. You are so selfish and lazy. You know, you never lift a finger to help around here. Never, always. Absolutistic kind of language. In other words, you attack your mate's character or person. He's like, that is death blow number one. The second after corrosive criticism is contempt. So when your mate points out an area of tension, instead of listening, tell me more, you roll your eyes. You're like, you got to be kidding me. You, you Disgust, sarcasm. You mock him or her. Oh, really? You think I'm going to... Dr. Gottman calls contempt. He says it is like pouring sulfuric acid on relationships. It erodes any chance of reconciliation and actually increases hostility. Contempt is when you actually sneer at your spouse, call him names, or you roll your eyes at her. You didn't make a mistake. You are the mistake. I remember after one service, a woman came up. She said, Tim, what do I do if my husband isn't a Christian? He's not. He's just not into the Jesus thing. He's, like, he's anti-Christ. I mean, he's not the Antichrist, but he may be related, she said, you know. (laughs) Contempt is death blow number two. Death blow number three is after this is defensiveness. Oh, really? The problem isn't me. Let me tell you something. It's you, sweetheart. Wait, wait, wait. You didn't mail the bill on on time. That's because you didn't make the deposit like I told you. It's refusing to take responsibility for your own behavior. Instead, you BS. Not BS like you think. You blame shift. You you regularly shift the blame to your partner for something they did prior to the issue. And it kind of locks the couple in this crazy cycle of accusation and blame and finger pointing. Round and round and round it goes. And where it stops, who knows? And finally, the, the fourth horseman of the apocalypse is stonewalling. Think of a wall made of stone. You ain't going through this. This happens in a relationship where one person gets angry or emotionally upset, a lot of times a couple, like one is a little bit more emotional than the other, and the other kind of just like, oh boy, here here it goes, she's getting crazy, just kind of stonewalls. Like, why do they do that? It's It's a survival mechanism. Because they start flooding with emotion, and this is getting nuts, and I can, and so they shut down. You can keep talking, I'm not listening anymore. I'm not actually here, I'm having an out of body experience. Gottman says, 85% of stonewallers in marriage are husbands. And so as the husband shuts down, the wife chases and, hey, are you listening to me? He's not listening to me. I'm going to turn this up. And the guy has this blank expression, right? Because he just sits down and he's like, don't say anything. Don't say anything. Ten minutes until the game and she can't touch me anymore. And she can't just kind of, right? You've seen this, right? These are the four horsemen of the relationship apocalypse. Now, look in the mirror, okay? Anybody see themselves in these? Okay, I do. <laughs> Criticism, guilty. Contempt at times, eye-rolling. Defensiveness, I don't know. It's not my, stonewalling, 100%. And Gottman says, where there is a pattern of those destructive dynamics, 
They can predict a divorce with 90% accuracy. Guys, why do I tell you this? Because science confirms what scripture is saying about being quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. And this is crucial, especially for married couples, because this takes a lot of time and intentionality, especially if you're juggling, you know, kids and jobs and school and sports. You have to fight to actually stay connected, carve out time to listen and hear each other's hearts. I figured, you know what, let's be super radically honest. So confession time. I need to just come clean with you guys. I'm having an affair with my wife every Tuesday at 5.15. This is true. I just going to let you a little, little secret of how we, how we stay connected and learn to listen to each other. Basically, I'm serious. I don't actually tell people this, but I'm like, I'll oh, just let you guys know. Uh, every Tuesday, my wife and I, we cut out of work early. We both work different jobs. We cut out of work. Instead at 6. At 5.15, we leave. And we meet, I'm not going to tell you what restaurant, but it's this little Italian restaurant in our town. We actually meet, we just sit at the bar, it's not like a sit-down dinner, but we sit at the bar, and you know what we have? We have buffalo calamari and a glass of Pinot Grigio. Yeah, thank you, praise God. Oh, holy moment right there. Awesome. And here's what we do, it's magical. We spend that 45 minutes before we have to go home to those little buggers, just catching up on our friendship. How's it going? What happened at work this week? What's going on at church? We, we, we have no agenda. We literally just talk and listen. Every Tuesday from 5.15 to about 6, we catch up on our friendship. Why? Because that's how intimacy happens. It's face-to-face. It's one-on-one. Think of it this way. And we don't talk about significant things. We literally just give the report. What's going on? Why? Because when you give the report, you're building rapport. That's how rapport building happens when you actually just share the stuff of life. And we laugh. We have a great time together. Then we go home and have dinner with our kids, you know. And we walk in and the kids are like, you always smile on Tuesdays, you know. The waiter actually said to me, he goes, hey, how come you're always here at like 5.15 on Tuesdays? I'm like, shh, I'm having an affair with my wife. Here she comes quiet, you know. Listen, men, as a servant of your wife, your number one job is seek to understand, not just be understood. Notice God gave you two ears and one mouth. What's that mean? It means he wants you to listen twice as much as you talk. James says, my dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak. You're going to get your say, but for now, James says, what's the first rule of Fight Club? First, give her your ear, and then second, tame your tongue. Slow to speak. Anybody know what's the most powerful muscle in the human body? Anybody? This. This thing right here, okay? Turn to your neighbor, open up your mouth, stick out your tongue, go, ah, go ahead, right now. Oh, man, some of you are like, oh, strep throat, okay. (laughs) Pound for pound, this tongue is the most powerful muscle in your body. It's this thing that can inflict the most damage in your marriage. James actually goes into great detail about the tongue in chapter 3. He writes this, he says, yeah, so here's the deal. The tongue is a small part of the body. It makes big boasts. I want you to think about what a great forest is set on fire by just a small spark. Your tongue also is a fire. It's a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body. It can set the whole course of your life on fire and is itself set on fire by hell. No human being can tame the tongue. This is why you need the Holy Spirit. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. You understand? 
When you get into a conflict with your partner, you can do more damage pound for pound with your words than anything else. With your tongue, this thing, you can poison the relationship. With this thing, you could diffuse a conflict. Hey, you know what? Just time out. I'm sorry. Let me just take a step back. Or you can escalate it to a whole new level. You want crazy? I'll show you crazy! Right? Guys, men and women, we have to learn to tame our tongues, and that's what I'm going to do right now. I'm going to actually stop talking and ask a special married couple here at Liquid and the congregation to come out and share their experience. Their names are Alan and Esther Getz. They've been part of our church for 15 years, and they lead our marriage mentoring program. And I asked them to come out here and share their wisdom and experience. Would you give a big liquid welcome to Alan and Esther Getz? Come on out, guys. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Esther. Awesome to have you guys. Alan, great to have them. They've been here for a long time, uh, over 15 years. Tell us just a little bit about how you met, how long you've been married. Well, I was dragged by a friend to a college and career singles Bible study that I had designated a meat market. And I said to her, if anybody tries to talk to me tonight, I'm getting back in the car and I'm going home as quickly as possible. Well, a little later that evening, um, I saw Esther and I, I thought I recognized her from, uh, from my work. And so I went up to her and I said, you're probably gonna think this is a line, uh, but did you used to work at Deloitte? And I had worked there about a year prior and moved on to another job. And after a couple hours of conversation with this tall, dark, and handsome man, I got in the car with my friend and I said, I think I met my husband tonight. (laughs) (laughs) How long ago was that? Well, uh, to continue that story, uh, I'm a little bit slower, so it took me about a year and a half to get to that same place. Uh, But that was about 30 years ago, and uh, and now we're married 27 years. 26. Can we hear it for that? 27 years? That's awesome. Very impressive. Any kids? Tell us about your family. Kids, I think we're going to look at our picture. And we have uh, four kids. Yeah, and starting over on the right side, our our oldest daughter, Sarah, is uh, 26. She's a teacher out in Pennsylvania. That's her husband, Cody, uh, with her. And they have a young uh, uh, baby son, Broden, who's seven months. So you're grandparents. We are. Congratulations. He's in the womb in that picture, I think. (laughs) And then uh, on the left side, second in, is our oldest son, Jared. He's 24. Uh, He lives out in Pittsburgh, my hometown. Uh, Scene of This Is Us. And and, uh, he he works with my brother. And then we have Josh, who's on the very end here. He's a senior at Monmouth University, and he's majoring in psychology. And then our youngest, uh, Rachel, who's the graduate in the picture, she's 18. She uh, just finished her freshman year at a college in Florida called Full Sail. And she was actually mentored right here at the fancy sound booth in the back by two awesome men. And she's decided to make recording arts as a result of Liquid, her career. That is awesome. Esther, tell us a little bit just about the early years of your marriage. Like what came naturally and what were kind of some of the early points of conflict? We say that we have the tale of three marriages and delineated kind of by like the three decades that we've been together. And the first 10 years, I would say was characterized by hiding. We not only hid from ourselves, we tried to be perfect, the perfect Christians, the perfect church people. Mm. And so we hid even from ourselves, we especially hid from each other, our church, our families. And we didn't actually have a lot of conflict Mm. because of that. But the reality is, is we did not have a lot of closeness either. <laughs> and throw in four kids in eight years, and you guys get the picture. Uh, 
Alan, how have you seen God kind of, you know, work in your marriage and family to overcome those gaps? Well, th that I'd, I'd bring to the second decade then really where um, as, as a result of being transparent and vulnerable about some of our own brokenness and struggles, um, you know, we, we kind of moved into a new phase there. And, and when that, that transparency and that uh, vulnerability was met with grace, uh, compassion, and mm -hmm. forgiveness, it really brought us to a new place, a new place of openness uh, in, our, in our marriage. And, and uh, it gave us the freedom really to be less than perfect and, and to, uh, to, to kind of grow together. And it was during that period that we really started marriage mentoring actually. Um, and kind of th that, you know, being willing to be open with each other, that's really kind of the foundation of, of the mentoring process. We'll talk a little bit more about later. You mentioned three acts to yeah, your marriage. Yeah, three. So, the third decade, which we're kind of in now, um, really was a place where God called us to go deeper. Called us to go deeper, not only with him, but with one another. And we, we decided actually to go to professional counseling. And between that and a very, very safe and intimate life group that we shared, we found out that we married the wrong person, thanks to Tim <laughs> Lucas, that right. great author of the book. And that was very difficult for us. Uh, and we are now kind of on a journey of stopping blaming each other for our own brokenness. Mm. And then also um, really accepting each other's flaws and faults for what they are and what might never change. And we're on a journey of true intimacy where we believe that means fully known and fully loved, mm. like Adam and Eve, naked and unashamed, really on every level. You know, I just want to, I hope you guys didn't miss that. I mean, they've been together 30 years, but when you guys were saying it's like we've had three marriages, that first season of hiding where there was no conflict, but there's also no closeness. We kind of hid. We had to be perfect. That falls apart, and you kind of did the hard work of counseling, becoming honest and vulnerable about your own brokenness. And it's just now that you're kind of reaping the fruit of that, right? It's kind of entering that golden season of healing where you feel that kind of closeness. I point that out because I think most couples quit during the second season. They say, you know, this is too hard. This is not what I expected. You know, she's not going to change or he's not giving me what I need. And so I'm going to kind of cash that out and go find somebody else who will make me happy. But you guys have really found, and it was even as you got involved in marriage mentoring, that God can actually redeem that brokenness as we bring it to him in honesty. Right. Yep. Yeah. Really great. Tell us about marriage mentoring. This is an important thing because Alan and Esther have done a great job kind of pioneering that here. Marriage mentoring, essentially, it is required for any couple to be married by a liquid pastor. But it's not like a hoop we're trying to get you to jump through. What we do is we take a young couple who's going to be married and pair them with a seasoned couple who've been married for a while. Maybe they have some miles on the odometer for some key conversations because we really want to invest in the relationship before the wedding. Tell us a little bit about marriage mentoring. Sure. Uh, the process begins with, really with the engaged couple going online and filling out an application. Uh, and then for those folks uh, here in Parsippany, that application goes to my lovely wife, Esther. She's the administrator. And uh, from that, then we arrange a meeting with the engaged couple. And we really spend you know, anywhere between an hour and two hours with them kind of learning their stories. And uh, I really view it as standing on holy ground. It's a, kind of a sacred time for us to learn uh, the stories of what br brought the two, uh, two people to that point in their, in their relationship. Uh, and then we use learning that story really as a way, uh, a a way to uh, pair them up with a, a mentoring couple who would be a really good fit for them. And so then coming out of that session, then we would hook them up with a, a marriage mentoring couple to begin the process. Yeah, we're like Match.com. 
<laughs> for couples, right? For couples, couple to couple. What are some of the topics that you tackle in marriage yeah. mentoring? Um, my joke is I try to keep it in my head when we're meeting with the couples of WTF, I call it a bunch of Fs, and we walk through faith journeys, family of origin, foo as Tim calls it, and finances, friendship, fighting as we're talking about today, <laughs> forgiveness, and then we always say, and the final F, which I know what you're thinking, and we say fidelity, faithfulness. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so that's, that's kind of what we, and we get into some more complicated stuff, right, Alan? Yeah. yeah. Well, it's an interesting season for you guys because you now have adult children. You've seen them grow up. They're married, starting families of their own. Talk a little bit to the single folks here. What, what advice, what would you encourage single folks to focus on before uh, they move towards marriage? And I don't take this lightly when I say this, and I know that the culture screams that you cannot be okay or live a full and abundant life without being in a couple. Mm -hmm. And it's all over media. You're probably getting pressure from your families. And it's actually probably even the worst in the church, you know, in the Christian world. And I would ask you first and foremost to combat that lie. I, mm -hmm. I, I serve, and you serve, and we worship here at Liquid, a 33-year-old virgin who never was married. And that guy, Jesus, <laughs> lived an absolutely full, probably the fullest and most abundant life of any human being who ever lived. <laughs> so I think that if you meet somebody, you won't be trying to fill that void yeah. with the other person. You've already had it filled in Jesus. Mm. And there's no hurt to asking him. So, you know, asking him what your heart's desire is. And I say, my real advice is cling to him. He gets it. He knows mm. where you are. Even more than we don't know. He knows. Yeah. Yeah. Alan, you guys have been married 27 years. It appears still in love, or at least it's even getting richer. We know that does not happen by accident. Talk a little bit to the married couples here. You know, can you give them some advice? How do you keep, I know you guys, you know, travel, busy schedules, all that. How do you keep the flame lit and burning? Uh, more in love, uh, even with all those struggles. <laughs> um, yeah, I think it goes back to what we were talking about before, about the transparency and the vulnerability and just the willingness to share with each other and then meeting each other with grace and compassion. Hmm. Um, Esther talked a little bit about it before, but we, you know, we've been through professional and continue to go through con uh, professional counseling, um, which has been really helpful to us. Our life, life group uh, is a place where we're also very open. And then, you know, you talked about it before. This is not scripted, but uh, we also do a, a date night. Uh, our night is Friday nights. Uh, it was something a couple recommended to us when we were in a marriage life group a number of years back, and that's been really helpful to us to have that time alone and, yeah. and to share time uh, with each other. Yeah. So those are just a few things. We're also having an affair. <laughs> with each other. Yes. Oh, that's yes. A, with that's each a positive other. thing. Um, guys, marriage mentoring really is one of the very best things we do at Liquid. The idea is we don't, again, most couples focus on the big day. They want to have a great wedding. We want you to have an awesome marriage. It's really the day after the wedding when the adventure starts. And the truth is we need mentors. Uh, it's not just engaged couples. We have plenty of those, uh, who, but we don't have enough mentors. And so I want to encourage some of the couples out here who maybe you're like, maybe we have something to add to the conversation, mentor a young couple. But let's just be honest. I think a lot of people get intimidated. Uh, do you have to have the perfect marriage to be a mentor? Uh, as you can see from us, absolutely not. Uh, we do not have a perfect marriage, but we do have a growing marriage. And to tell you the truth, marriage mentoring was one of the best things and still is the best thing we have done for our own marriage. The first time we mentored a couple, we were a little nervous and we said, why don't we walk through the curriculum at the same time together? And walking through the curriculum 
by ourselves, along with the couple, was one of the hardest things we've ever done, brought up a lot of stuff, but one of the most helpful things that we have also ever done. And we continue to just enjoy that process. So we're really looking, if you're out there, we're really looking for couples who are willing to go on a uh, journey with another couple of transparency and trust. Just getting to build a relationship with people. And if you are, if you do have the perfect marriage, don't sign up. Yeah, we'll probably be a little suspect, I think. <laughs> yeah. So, guys, I want to encourage you. That might be a next step for you. If you're a married couple, maybe you're kind of empty nesters. You're like, you know what? How can we serve at Liquid? This is a key way. It's one of the ways that we're passing on with the Lord's teaching each of us to the next generation. So if you've been married, you know, five years or more, you love people, you love each other, and you're like, God, how can you use us? Talk to Alan and Esther. They're here in Parsippany. We've got an Alan and Esther actually at every campus. And we're going to send them out to the Clean Water Cafe. So at the end of the service, you can go out and talk to them. If you're engaged, pick up one of these great little uh, brochures and information cards they put together. But can we thank Alan and Esther and all of our marriage mentors for joining us? Thank you, Alan. Appreciate you being out here, brother. Thanks, Esther. Appreciate that. It really is one of the very best things we do. And um, again, we're, we're going to put these cards out there. Uh, they've got a little bit more information, especially if you are engaged, moving towards marriage. But it's, um, we don't want you to just have that, that big wedding. We want you to have a fantastic relationship. It's the day after the wedding when the adventure begins. So pick one of these up um, after the service or talk to uh, the marriage mentor leadership at your campus. They're going to be in the Clean Water Cafe right after the service ends. Now, if you're single, I also have a resource I want to recommend to you too. It's a phenomenal book. It's called The Sacred Search uh, by Dr. Gary Thomas. And I love the subtitle. It's, what if it's not about who you marry, but why? Uh, if you are single, this will radically change your view of relationships. You know, I was talking with Pastor Karen, and she said, you know, I think singles kind of have to hit the reset button on what they're searching for. Uh, and married folks have to understand that your mate does not exist for your pleasure. <laughs> Actually, for Christ followers, it's the other way around, right? As followers of Jesus, we exist to love and sacrifice and serve our spouse like Jesus did for us. And uh, Thomas talks about the difference between what our culture says about a soulmate. Did you know that that's a myth? Uh, this myth, right? We're miss you're missing part of yourself and you have to find someone to complete you. That's actually an idea from Plato, not the Bible. All right? What is the biblical view of human nature? Listen to this quote. Our problem is not that we've been sliced apart from an ancient human half, but that we've been separated from God by our sin and need to be reconciled to God through the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Once we are reconciled, that vertical relationship to God, he brings us together as humans, the horizontal. Marriage is a wonderful, even glorious reality, but it's secondary to our spiritual identity as children of God and something that won't even exist in heaven. Did you know that? There's no marriage in heaven. Why? Because our intimacy is with Christ, will be known as we are fully known. And honestly, my fear as your pastor is that a lot of single people are looking for a relationship to replace God. They're, they're looking for a horizontal relationship that's going to replace the vertical one. Here's what Thomas writes. Take a deep breath. Everyone take a deep breath. Your marriage choice is crucial, but it will never define you. If you're a believer, God, not your marital status or frustration, defines your life. Don't put too much pressure on yourself. Let the pursuit of marriage be one of joy, one you undertake with your closest companion, Jesus, walking with you. Listen to this. You are already loved and looking for someone who can help you grow and share that love. That's security. 
Christians should never be defined by the word desperate. Amen? We are well-loved, well-cared for, and adored by the one who knows us best and secure in his acceptance, love, affirmation, and purpose. I personally, I think this is why a lot of relationships and marriages kind of end in disaster. Because there is this desperation to be married. And people then tend to overlook and ignore a lot of things about the other person because they think, well, I gotta, just got to be married at all costs. And so you go into marriage thinking, well, you know, they have a lot of good qualities and hopefully, you know, he or she will change over time. Newsflash, that ain't going to happen, okay? That thinking is completely flawed. Ultimately, for a relationship to go the distance, you have to go in it with your eyes and your heart wide open and fixed on Jesus, not your spouse. you got to go in with this attitude of servant sacrificial love, which is the hardest kind of love which is why you need the supernatural help of the Holy Spirit. It's why your vertical relationship with Christ comes first. You know, even Ruth Graham, you guys know Billy Graham died uh, this year. Ruth Graham, they were married 64 years of marriage. And you think like, oh man, Billy and Ruth Graham, it doesn't get more perfect than that. And uh, Ruth Graham was interviewed and asked, did you ever think about divorce? And she said, you know, 64 years of marriage, never once did I consider divorce. Murder, yes. Divorce, no. I've never... (laughs) You know what they say, right? Before marriage, you keep both eyes wide open, and then afterwards, you better keep one eye closed, right? Here's the final rule of Fight Club. James counsels this. He says, control your anger. Everybody's going to get angry, and it's not a sin. Be slow to become angry. Here's what Ephesians says. Don't sin by letting anger, what? Control you. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry, for anger gives a foothold to who? The devil. Notice a couple things in this verse. This is like the most misunderstood verse in the Bible. First, anger is not sin. Anger is just an emotion. It's a surface response to hurt or loneliness or frustration. And the Bible actually says, you do well to be angry. But what you do with your anger is decisive. Do you control it or does it control you? Because your enemy is not your spouse. It's the devil. The Bible says our battle is not against flesh and blood. It's against spiritual powers and forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And God has ordained you to fight the enemy together. Why does the devil love to attack Christian marriages? Answer, because marriage is a reflection of Jesus' love for the church. So if he can get us, start throwing punches at each other, taking cheap shots, people will not see Jesus. They just look at it and say, well, what difference does it make? That's why God counsels couples. He says, never let a fight last more than 24 hours. If you go to bed angry with your spouse, you're going to wake up with the devil in the morning. (laughs) That's how I know Colleen is angry. When we, you know, when we get in bed at night and she takes the covers and she gives me the butt. You ever get that one? The butt. Like, pull all the blankets, the covers, push me away, you know. She, you know, here she's all huffy, stomping to the bathroom. There's this force field between us, you know, and I'll inch my, you know, foot over. Like, she pulls away, you know, get the butt, you know. Nothing happening here, okay. Ding, ding, ding. Stop the fight. Don't let it go extra rounds. Remember, you can win an argument but lose your spouse. You can spend your life fighting to be right and wind up utterly alone. So let me speak to those of you today who are here and you're struggling. Maybe you're here today and your marriage is in trouble or you're contemplating divorce. If your marriage is in trouble, I want to recommend a resource to you. It is called A Hope Restored. It is a marriage-intensive experience by Focus on the Family. And I put this again in your mobile app there. You visit hoperestored.com. We've got a phone number there you can call. It's a three to five day marriage intensive with 20 to 30 hours of professional counseling. So if your marriage is in crisis, let me encourage you, contact them. Write the number down. 
Many couples have already started the divorce process, but this is like the last attempt to give God a chance to save their marriage. And they address very, very difficult issues, stuff like infidelity, intimacy, sexual issues, blended families, kids, career conflicts. So if you're in marital distress, contact. You owe it to your family. They even offer scholarships, okay? Guys, I hope you see. This is us, right? It, it runs the gamut. It's messy. It's complicated. Whatever season of life you're in. But conflicts are natural. Disagreement's inevitable. But if you're going to make love last, you've got to learn to fight fair. And that's why you need Jesus. That's why you need, I love what Esther said, the 33-year-old virgin, a man who lived his life single, filled with the Holy Spirit, um, connected intimately to the Father, and realized the greatest potential a human being has ever known, actually changing the course of history. Marriage reflects the gospel. And without the gospel, marriage won't work. The gospel... The good news, why we're here, is that we've been these recipients of God's grace and his forgiveness. He says, now I can give you the power to love your partner the same way Jesus loved the church. He stretched out his arms. He died for her to forgive her. And when God forgives, he doesn't keep score. He wipes out the past. So you may be here this morning, and maybe you have hurts in your relationship. But you know what? God can heal them. He can give you hope. So here's my challenge to you today. If you're married, my guess is you probably saw yourself at some point reflected up here. Maybe some patterns in your own relationship. Here's my challenge. Pick one. Pick one today. Are you critical? Are you the stonewaller? <laughs> Are you defensive? Be honest. If that's you, your job is super simple. It's just confess your sin and repent. Ask God for his forgiveness and then offer it to your spouse. Final verse. God commands us this. He says, be kind to the woman. <laughs> Be compassionate to, to your husband. Be kind of compassionate to each other. Forgiving each other. Just as in Christ, God forgave you. Maybe you need to forgive someone you love this morning. Maybe you need to actually draw on this Holy Spirit's power and say, I'm sorry. I've been hurting you. And take responsibility. Maybe you're single and you're struggling. If so, we want to come around you and pray for you, believing with you the best is yet to come. If you need God's help, maybe there's been hurts or wounds and you'd like Jesus to come into your heart, I want to pray for you right now. So all our campuses, would you just bow your heads for prayer? Bow your heads with me. Father, we pray a blessing right now over all of our single brothers and sisters, Father God. I pray that you would fill them and flood them with hope, even right now, a feeling of completion, that as they lean into you, Jesus, you truly are all we need, Father God. At the same time, Father, I pray that you'd give them hope, Lord. We know that marriage is a beautiful thing. It was invented by you. I pray today, would you give couples who are in the thick of it in their marriages, Father, healing and hope and tenderness and affection, compassion, all these fruits of the Spirit that we're powerless to generate on our own. God, I thank you for the engaged couples, Lord. We want to see marriages flourish and future families be formed in this church. And Lord, I pray that you would speak a word of hope to those who've gone through the, the pain of divorce, that this would be a season of healing, Father God. For many of our widows, Father, who feel that loneliness, Father, fill in that gap, I pray, and give us a chance as a family, a church family, to be that kind of um, reflection of Christ's love and companionship to each other. Lord, we ask your blessing on the marriage mentors at every campus, and we thank you for them. May our marriages reflect less of us, more of you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Everyone said together, amen. amen. Would you give the Lord a praise? Let's thank God for all that he's doing. <laughs>